Good morning to Melissa Mills. How are you, Melissa? Hi. Hi, I'm well, thank you. Super, super chuffed to uh, be on the wine show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, we are all things um, beverages, really. So um, (laughs) sake certainly uh, is something that we, we may... You know, people may have when they when they'll go out to a Japanese restaurant and that sort of thing. But gee, there's so much to it, isn't there? Yeah, it is. It's a huge, huge world, and you know that's part of why I started my business because it's so big and people just don't realise. And I think people just you know quite quick to categorise sake as perhaps you know that fire water that they had <laughs> heated up in some um, little restaurant somewhere you know years and years ago and they've never gone back to but you know part of the reason that I really want to talk about sake is because there's, it's such a huge world the spectrum is big so yeah I'm kind of interested to know whether you've had any experiences with sake uh, look I have um, there's a um, yeah no, on a few occasions and you know it's some it's some sort of better restaurants as well where you, I suppose you, you maybe get um, you know a higher quality um, product coming through um, because mm. they you know and and there were a number of them on the list you know so it's obviously um, <clears throat> you know something that, that those couple of restaurants I'm thinking of you know had um, taken it seriously um, so if, if you want to can you just take us back to to the basics I guess um, you know what we know that wine is fermented from you know grapes and it's grape juice fermenting tell us how sake is made and um and what we need to know as the basics i guess yeah and so sake as well is a fermented product but it is fermented from rice so it is a grain-based fermentation which differs you know quite markedly from wine um, so, you know, we really want to move away from that rice wine tag because it really isn't a rice wine. It is a fermented beverage, but it is more um, akin to beer. So it's more it's more closely related to beer. Mm-hmm. But it has a unique style of fermentation in that we have um, two things happening in our fermentation tank. And we need to get uh, carbohydrate, you know, sugar released from rice. And that's a big problem because if you put rice normally in water, you know, nothing happens. It's pretty inert. So we have this marvellous thing called koji, which is a mould which is grown on the steamed rice, and that allows us to get some, if you like, molting process going on. So therefore we have the sugar and we can then go on to develop alcohol in a fermentation process. So, you know, that pretty unique thing and those unique steps really set sake apart. And uh, it actually is very interesting that sake can ferment to the highest level of alcohol um, without, you know, without being a distilled product. So um, we can achieve, you know, sort of alcohol ABVs of around 20% just from a simple rice-based fermentation. So um, pretty amazing style of fermentation and very, very closely controlled by the brewery. Yeah, so so where gin is, you know, made by a distiller, um, this is more likely, or, you know, closer to, yeah, to a craft brewer um, making stuff, yeah. is what you saying. Yeah. yeah, totally. So it's it's very much like a, a, a craft brewer set up. Um, so yeah, we are achieving a, we, we, we make a brew which is um, made in increments. 
So it's built up in a series of stages, and those stages allow us to achieve, you know, a higher ABV in the brew. Um, but typically, most um, sake brewers actually dilute their product, their end product, back a little bit to about 15 to 17% ABV. So that sort of sits in the big Shiraz category. So if you wanted to compare that with wine, so, you know, I'm... I really love to be able to talk to people and get them to treat sake like wine in terms of the fact that I'd love them to drink it out of a wine glass, you know, if they're in a restaurant situation uh-huh. or even at home, you know, it's, there's no reason that you can't use uh, wine glasses to, you know, capture that beautiful aroma that comes from the fruity floral styles of sake. Um, so, yeah, it's, I just, you know, there is a misconception out there, I think, that sake is super, super strong. But, you know, I really want people to be clear about that, that it is in that 15 to 17% ABV by and large. Mm. Um, and even yeah, now, so 15% we're, is, you know, a big rather glen red. You know, that's, yes, that's yep, up there. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it is up there. But uh, we are starting to see that uh, that trend towards lower ABV sake is coming through in the market. Mm-hmm. So sort of, sort of around that 11 to 13%. Um, so, you know, that is happening, and I think the influence, you know, the, the trends in drinking style is impacting upon Japan and their brewers, uh, which is, you know, kind of interesting to see that happening. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a term um, that is often on, on a bottle you'll see, um, the N-A-M-A, NAMA, is that how you say it? NAMA, yep. Mean? So nama, if we take it classically from Japanese, means raw. Um, so raw and so nama, nama sake is unpasteurized sake. So sake that uh, hasn't had a heat treatment at the end of the pro- brewing process. So it's bottled, uh, capped and sent out into the wide world in large, by and large refrigerated containers. Yep. And uh, it needs to stay in the fridge and then we get to experience it as a very kind of fresh, um, lively brew. So often when you open a bottle of Nama, you'll hear that sigh as you open it. (laughs) Sometimes that can be quite pronounced. Um, And you really get to experience sake like it is when it comes out of the tank. Um, So very fresh and uh, bright and um, encompassing all those amazing flavors. So, uh, yeah, that's so. Namazake is great. It's a small part of our market in Australia because that's becoming increasingly more and more prominent because logistics are improving now, and particularly refrigerated logistics Mm -hmm. are improving, and importers are kind of uh, happier to bring it. Um, But it does have, you know, obviously. It's a long journey from uh, Japan to Australia, um, and we've really got to think about how we market and how we store those sort of drinks. Mm. Um, so if people would um, want to understand more about sake, uh, and mm. let's say that the first step might be, you know, if you were to suggest a style to them or, you know, where they might find a bottle to try, or, or is it better to go to maybe to a bar where they've got a number of them there that you can try, a, you know, a small taste of each? Yeah, I think it's a really... I think that there is such a big range that it's a really nice thing to be able to sort of start on a midpoint and then, you know, go from there. So I usually recommend that people start 
with what we call a Jinmai Ginjo. Um, a Ginjo is very much, um, it sort of sits on the divide between the fruity floral aromatic styles and the more earthy, savory, spicy styles. So if you start your point there and you go, hmm, I really love this category, I can explore this and I can become, you know, perhaps go fruitier and slightly sweeter in style, then that's one direction you can go. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, you can go, well, maybe I want something a little bit bolder, a little bit bigger in the mouthfeel. I want some more savory spiciness. Then you can um, go in a different direction down towards what we call the Junmai section. And it's really great to be in a bar that has that range, and often they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not that many specialist sake bars around. We're really lucky in Melbourne. We do have a couple of them, and one of them would be Tamura Sake Bar, which is um, here in uh, the suburb of uh, Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that those sort of specialist sake bars are rare. Um, however, a few restaurants do have quite a good range, as you say. Now and now we're seeing more and more of it on the list. Um, that's one way. Uh, there's some great online sites. Um, so a number of specialist sake sites. Um, I pivoted to a store during lockdown, so I have one of my own, but most importer producers do, um, most importers do have online sites, and so you can actually see um, the sake laid out on those sites if you want to have an experimentation. Mm-hmm. And I think those are really good places to start. Um, to start, you know, it's very much about exploration, right? Yeah. Um, have a, but I think if you want to take it that next step further, we do run like education courses and tasting nights and, you know, those sort of things where you can be exposed to way more sake. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so people, if people want to get in touch with you then um, for those tastings and the, and the courses, so that's um, sake, sakeconnect.com. So yeah, sakeconnect.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you say, um, you've got a, a, a website and a store there. So that's so. What, what sort of? I haven't clicked into that properly, but um, roughly, what's the sort of price of a of a bottle that would? And are we buying a seven fifty mil bottle typically? Yeah, so seven twenty mil actually in sake land. So um, isn't that interesting? Um, I do import. A 750 mil from a New Zealand craft sake brewer called Zinkuro, but that 750 mil is the only 750 mil in my store because, um, by and large, all the bottles coming from Japan are 720 mils. Um, yeah, so um, a typical range of price for sake starts in the $30 price range yep. and goes up to um, like I've got probably my most expensive is $450 a bottle. Um, so <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but uh, the range is big. So when we get to the higher grades um, where the production process is very uh, exacting, then those sakes attract a, a much higher price. So generally over $100 a bottle, that's mm. for the Daiginjo range. Um, but we... I try to keep, like particularly on my store, something that's accessible for most people. And we also have some small format bottles for people who want to do a little bit of tasting around and like, just a bit of experimentation. Um, so those, yeah, it is an expensive product. It's very much a luxury product. And we, of course, are subject to wet tax. So sake has that huge tax because of, you know, by and large being imported. Yeah. Um, but then it's not something that you you go and roll a whole bottle in one in one go. It's, oh well. Wow. <laughs> 
that all depends. Okay, I there think, we go. Yeah, no, I mean, I think seriously, it is something that you can just delve into, and it's perfectly fine to uh, put the bottle back in the fridge and come back to it another day. But uh, yeah, how long? You know, so a, a bottle of let's say we have open a bottle of white wine. You, you know, it's probably best within the first couple of days, really. Um, what's the the length of time um, with sake? Um, Look, you know, most manufacturers will be would say to you three to four weeks. Um, I, I'm a little bit more generous. I would say to you three to four months, um, and, and it's perfectly fine. We uh, sake is made in an oxidative sort of environment, and so we, it's not subject to oxidation. So mm-hmm. we don't we don't get that deterioration in the bottle. And I think that's quite a marvelous thing about sake is that it keeps quite well. And a good sake often will get better after a couple of days open in the bottle. You know, And I'm, I'm saying this as long as it's refrigerated. And I think, you know, it needs to be put back in the fridge um, and then it'll be, be fine. Yeah. Um, and we do have some aged sake, which is, is fine out of the fridge. Um, so there's a few different, you know, types of sake. So... Um, but you know you'd be you'd be surprised at just how flexible it is in terms of storage. Um, yeah, it's, it's but it actually sounds like um, uh, three to four months is a moot point. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, I think we I very much um, toe the party line on this and generally say to people three to four weeks, which mm. is what the producers generally would encourage. Um, you know, I had the situation where I found a bottle because I have a lot of samples, um, you know, which I open for bars and restaurants. I found one that I had opened for two years and I thought, oh, this is super interesting. So I tasted it and it was beautiful. It totally still had all of its aromatics in place, was just stunning. So I kind of thought, wow, this is a really interesting experiment. <laughs> um, I'm not telling you to do that, but it mm. was just something that I was so surprised at. Um, so yeah, we we are very lucky that uh, it doesn't tend to deteriorate rapidly in the bottle. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So so the if we that midpoint that uh, we'll just go back to because so for anyone who wants to mm. start, so the midpoint is is a, um, a style. A ginger. Yeah. Ginger. That's correct, and and I mean this is the one that's really hard for Australians because most people say CGIN and they call it ginger <laughs> because gin is just so prevalent in our world. Um, but it's actually the Japanese pronounce that with a hard G, so it's a ginger. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So so we started there, and that's as you say, it's got this kind of um, a mixture of the fruity and floral, and then also mm. kind of earthy. And umami is a is a. Um, a term that's being used in kind of cooking circles a little bit. Um, but it's oh, we love umami. Yeah. Umami. It's that savouriness, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, umami has, you know, been identified as the fifth taste and it was actually identified by Akira Sensei, who was a, a Japanese scientist um, in the early part of this, you know, 1900s. Mm. And uh, umami is that fifth taste sense that they taste on the tongue um, and it's, it's very hard to define but as you say it's that savory deliciousness and umami really comes from the chemical components of um, amino acids called glutamic acid and we're lucky with sake that um, rice 
as well as having carbs in it, it obviously has small amounts of protein, fat, vitamins and minerals. And when we ferment protein, we get that breakdown, which allows us to have those amino acids, which leads to the taste of umami. So that is where, where you know, sake gets its umami from and also from some of the breakdown um, of some of the products produced by yeast as they're fermenting. So, yeah, we, you know, sake people love to say that we're the only really true beverage that has significant amounts of umami. Um, but that umami really allows sake to sit alongside food particularly well, particularly like foods with lots of protein like, you know, steak and, and meats and, you know, hearty braises. So, yeah, that's, uh, umami is something that we hold very special. And, mm. yeah, those uh, more savory styles of sake have more higher levels of umami in them. Yeah. Um, so... Um, we've probably only got a couple of minutes, unfortunately, but um, we, we must get back and, uh, and have, a, have a, another dive into it a, a bit deeper. Oh, I'd love time. to. Um, so, but uh, obviously sake and Japanese food, it's obviously a no-brainer, but if we were to have it with some Western food, um, where, would you, where would you send us? You, you mentioned a steak um, with, with some styles, but um, what else would you have, you know, in your normal kind of, uh, you know, weekly cuisine? Yeah, I mean, I, we really want to move sake into that spectrum of, of not being restricted to Japanese food. And I tell you, some amazing pairings uh, with sake is cheese. Cheese and charcuterie with sake is just the bomb because, you know, cheese is another umami bomb, so is charcuterie, you know, lots of cured meats. So that is amazing. Um, try sake with pizza. For goodness sake, people out there, please try pizza and sake, another amazing umami bomb. You know, lots of beautiful tomato and cheese and meats on pizza goes so well with sake. Um, if you want to have a read around my site, I've done all of my food pairings and my tasting notes are all to do with Western cuisine. So, you know, I talk a lot, lot about Thai curries and, um, you know, Malaysian-style curries and stir-fries and, and sake and, you know, grilled meats, barbecued prawns. Those sort of things are really beautiful with sake and I really, you know, I really encourage you to experiment. But, yeah, um, Simon, I would really love people to get sake on the table any time. Okay, well, so how about this then can be the challenge for all our listeners. <laughs> um, so... Pick up a bottle, uh, you know, from your website. So start, as you say, start with a gin, ginjo. Um, yeah, style. ginjo style. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then do some homework, and then we'll circle back in. I don't know, three or four weeks, so, and uh, and then we can um, we can talk a little bit more about what people might have experienced, and and maybe some of the things they might have tried it with, and um, and uh, yeah, I think that could be a bit of fun. So then we can, yeah, just do a little bit of a sake education uh, yeah, over the airwaves. Yeah, a little bit more exploration. I'm 100% behind that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Melissa, thank you. It's been really nice to meet you um, today and, uh, yeah, look forward to, uh, yeah, to further chats, hey? Yeah, let's catch up again. Thank you. See you. See you, Melissa. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. So, Melissa Mills, sakeconnect.com. Go and get a bottle.